Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. If you have Daniel chapter 6, I am just going to reference a few things that I feel like are going to be extraordinarily helpful for the days that we're living in. Um, life around us is becoming a circus. It's a circus. Um, not, not just from all of the fanfare and all of the hoopla and the nonsense, but, but there is a very real dark agenda that is permeating the global landscape. Uh, we understand, and, and I believe with, with all of my heart, as a matter of fact, I, I say this with all of my heart, I believe that we have entered into the beginning stages of the birth pangs that Jesus talked about that would be the entry point or the crossing over of the threshold into what is going to be the infrastructure that is going to guide towards the end of the age. Uh, I believe that we've entered into the birth pangs. Uh, we've entered into the initial stages of the end of the age. And I don't say that in the same way uh, because I understand that there's always going to be those who, when you read through the New Testament, you're going to say to yourself, people have been saying this ever since Jesus ascended. They have. People have been saying that we've been living in the last days. People have been saying that we've been leaning in closer and closer towards the end of the age. Uh, I understand that there are even a variety of places. Take the book of Thessalonians, for instance. Um, in Thessalonians, that was one of the issues. They believed so heavily that Jesus could return at any point, including later on this afternoon, that many of them quit their jobs. Many of them were sitting around. They were idle. They were in a place of great anticipation. Uh, and so it had a different type of effect, right? And this is what Paul is writing to them. Tell them to get up and to work, right? Um, so I understand, right, that there are complex situations. Um, but friends, we should understand that there were certain trigger points. There were certain prophetic things that Jesus said to watch for. And you should, as well as I should, be very discerning in the season of life that we're living in. The sons of Issachar, 1 Chronicles 12, it says that they were able to discern times and seasons, but they also were able to acutely discern what to do in those times and seasons. You see, we need both in the hour of history that we're in, uh, because I honestly don't believe that you have a shot to survive without a prayer life in the days that we're living. Now, now hear what I'm saying. Uh, I'm not saying that you don't have a hope to stay alive. That's not what I'm saying at all. So please don't, don't get it distorted that way. You don't have a shot at actually succeeding in the purposes of God. Staying alive in God's agenda without a prayer life in the days that we're living. Um, these are not days to try and delegate prayer as someone else's responsibility. Um, you don't necessarily need to try and convince or command other people to be praying for you. You need a life of prayer. You need to know how to get a hold of God for yourself. All of your life needs to be moved by the voice of God. If you do not know what God is saying in these days, then you will find yourself subjected to the current of chaos right now that is saturating the world on a global landscape. Uh, there is a very real demonic agenda that is establishing a global infrastructure that is leading us into what the Bible calls the end of the age, where there will be a global unifying. There will be a demonic unity that uh, brings all of the nations together into what we know Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage? There will be a demonic sense of unity that will saturate the nations. And when it does, it will bring things together, nation and nation on a global landscape. There will be a rallying together because of a demonic agenda. 
Um, we will see it. There will be the establishing of a new world order, a global demonic unity. We are seeing it right now. We have to wake up to the days that we are living in. We are seeing glimpses. We are leaning in. The infrastructure is being set. The agenda has already been unleashed. And I know that there have been times in times past where this agenda has sought to establish itself in the day that we were living in, but it has not succeeded to the degree that we are right now seeing. Right now. Right now, we are seeing the agenda succeed. It is feeding on people's fears and it is establishing a global infrastructure that is accelerating the end of the age scenario. And if you do not have a prayer life, you're not gonna have a shot. You're gonna be swallowed up by the current of chaos. You're going to find this agenda prevailing in your life. You're going to find yourself becoming subject, becoming subject. And what I mean by that is you are going to begin making moves based off of your own intellect, meaning your ability to try and reason out what is best for you. You are going to be subject, meaning your emotional instability or the way that situations are going to toss you to and fro and based out of an emotional condition, you are going to come to conclusions out of your intellect or out of your emotions and anybody who has ever made decisions this way, you realize whether sooner or later, there have been moments where in a very real way, you say to yourself, man, that wasn't God. I did that. I made that move. I made that decision. And it was because I was afraid. I made that decision. And it was because I thought it was because I reasoned. It was because I tried to evaluate everything. And that was what I thought was best in the moment. And this is where I believe Daniel has real help for us. Let's read Daniel 6 a little bit. Um, in Daniel 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 10, right? We're not going to start with the first couple of verses. I have spent an extensive amount of time on this platform, meaning this way of connection, um, an extensive amount of time in the book of Daniel. And all of that can be found on our Burning Witnesses podcast. That's not some podcast plug. That's just to say there is a large amount of content that is found on our podcast coming out of the book of Daniel and the way that it came alive to us in the quarantine season and how God spoke powerfully and prophetically to us in a way to posture ourselves in the days that were upon us. And so I'm not going to build out the frame. And that's the whole way that I say that. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, there has been a demonic conspiring against Daniel. Now, Daniel does not only represent a prophet or a person. Daniel represents a people. Daniel prophetically speaks to us of God's people at the end of the age. He is thriving underneath demonic tyranny. He is thriving when there is not a government structure that is favorable towards him as a believer in Yahweh. He is thriving with an accompaniment of signs, wonders, miracles, visitations, angelic messengers. There's a prophetic sense of urgency. There is a wildly alive and on fire prayer life that Daniel has. Daniel is an intercessor. Daniel is committed to setting himself multiple times a day. He is in prayer. His prayer life is vibrant. He is in there. He is going for it. He is faithful in the place of prayer. Man, like angels are flying in the window when Daniel is praying and they're bringing him interpretation of dreams. They're bringing him understanding to visions. Daniel's entire public life is being fueled by what is happening to him personally, privately, 
in the place of prayer. His secret place with God is giving him all of his instructions on how he is now to live out in a public place, interacting with the hostile series of events and circumstances that are unfolding around him. Daniel doesn't have it easy, but Daniel has a sense of ease because of the instructions that he's receiving from the secret place that is alive and on fire for him. He's actually connected to God and God is guiding him through prayer. This is what I mean. If you do not have a prayer life, if you do not have a vibrant personal place of devotion where you actually know how to get a hold of God and you actually know how to wait on the Lord. My soul waits in silence for God alone is what David says in Psalm 62. These are beautiful passages and I'm waiting on God because he's my salvation. I'm waiting on God because he's my deliverance. I'm waiting on God because he is my rock. I'm waiting on God because he is my fortress. Like David, Daniel understood when all hell breaks loose, I have to retreat into God and I have to wait until I know that I know that I know what it is that God is saying because Daniel has a prayer life. Daniel understands how to posture his life. Do you see the connection? Without a prayer life, you will have no shot at discerning how to posture your life. If you actually think that in these days that we are living, you're just going to be able to deduce what the best way to move forward is by sifting through all of the different news channels and then hoping to be able to come to the best conclusion yourself based off of a mosaic of Fox and CNN and MSNBC, or maybe you have all of the underground outlets, or maybe you have all of your favorite people on social media. You will have no shot at powerfully posturing yourself to thrive in God's purpose in this hour of history. The voice of God has to mean everything to you in these days. Everything. There's not even going to be a close second. The voice of God personally and deeply in your own heart providing the right governing and guidance to all of your life situations, there is no effective substitute for knowing how to get a hold of God for yourself. Um, well, Mike, I'm connected to some pretty powerful people. Praise God for you. But at the end of the day, the decisions that you are making for yourself, they are not going to be held accountable to. Our personal accountability is going to be anchored in our personal ability to get a hold of God and for him to speak to us personally and for them to be accountable to what it is that we know God is speaking. And because Daniel had a real prayer life, he knew how to posture his public life. But we're going to pick it up in verse 10. There's been a demonic conspiring. They've been watching Daniel. And because of the life that Daniel lived, they could not shut down his personal devotion to God. They could not shut down his prayer life. They looked for other ways in order to make him subject to the agenda that they were driving throughout the culture. And they come to Nebuchadnezzar and they convince him or to Darius. I'm sorry. Nebuchadnezzar is in the beginning. They come to Darius and they convince him to write into public policy. Listen to this. There is a public policy 
that gets instituted that no one can pray to any other God except what Darius has chosen. This sounds a lot to me like the situation at the end of the age where there's going to be an allegiance that is associated with the mark of the beast, right? I know there's a lot of talk about the mark of the beast and the vaccine and all of these things. There is going to be a demanded allegiance when the mark of the beast is unveiled, when it is unrolled, when it is pushed in the fullest way into our experience. In that moment of history, there will be an allegiance that is demanded, that is going to be directly associated, and it is going to be a form of worship. To worship allegiance, these are going to be the defining markers of the mark of the beast. And so Darius writes a public policy. And he says, from this point forward, it's going to be a criminal, criminal act to pray to any other God. And when we pick it up in verse 10, this is Daniel's response to public policy that is not favorable to his personal devotion to God. What is now happening in public is affecting what Daniel is able to do in private. He cannot any longer live his personal hidden life in a way that is obedient or faithful to God without there now going to be a public consequence. And this is where we find it. And this is what it says. Now, that's now, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he entered his house and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. And then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. An injunction is like an ordinance. Um, it's like a policy. It's a changing of statutes. It's like a new regulation or a new mandate. It's like a new order that's been issued into culture. Um, when Daniel caught word that there was a new mandate, when Daniel caught word that there was a new ordinance, when Daniel caught word that the highest seat in the kingdom, in the land, that the king had now issued this new ordinance, this new mandate, this new policy, this new injunction. When Daniel saw what was going on and it became very real to him, when he received the information, Daniel made a decision for himself. He said, I'm going home. I'm going into that Matthew 6 secret place. And I'm going to keep doing what it is that I've been doing. Now, let me say this. Daniel's decision was not the one that put him in the greatest or most favorable place for his self-preservation. Right? We, we, we can at least come to that conclusion. The law has been passed. If you do what we are telling you not to do, then there's going to be a consequence. So Daniel understands that the decision that he's coming to, there's going to be a consequence. Daniel understands there's going to be a penalty. There is going to be a price to pay. Well, if there's going to be a consequence, if there's going to be a penalty, if there's going to be a price to pay, why would that have been the conclusion that Daniel came to? That is a fantastic question. And we will answer it this way. I believe that Daniel knew the voice of God separate from his own personal interests. That God's voice had now not become associated with that personal interior voice that has all of its own self-interests. 
that everything that Daniel may have had as a self-interest was not now somehow automatically synonymous with God's interests. Um, God's voice must be known outside of the association or the attachment to all of our other or all of our own personal interests. Um, Mike, are you saying that all of my own interests at times might not necessarily be God's interests? Um, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's not just speculative. That is exactly what I am saying. And I believe that Daniel knew the voice of God outside of all of his own personal interests. Um, I believe that Daniel knew what it was that God was asking him for. And that's why he went home and he continued to pray. And I believe that Daniel understood that the only way that he would continue to know what it was that God was looking for him to do, the posture that he knew he was supposed to take, the way that he was supposed to faithfully live his life relationally, relationally meaning relationally to others and relationally to the circumstances that were unfolding in his day. In a moment of circumstantial crisis, Daniel knew that the voice of God was the only hope that he had. The voice of God was the only shot that he had in order to continue to faithfully posture himself to live out what it was that was God's desire. And Daniel um, actually paid a price. He actually paid a price, right? We understand the story, man. Daniel 6 is when he gets thrown in the, the lion's den, right? We just read these verses. It says, when Daniel knew, he went home and he kept on praying. Okay, well, that's the action that is going to give him the penalty. He went home and continued to pray. And it says that they evaluated, they watched, they surveyed his life as he kept on doing what it was that he knew if he did was going to bring on his life, the penalty associated with the new order or mandate. And they watched him to see if he was actually going to be willing to cross that line. They set it up in order to trap him. It was a setup. There was an agenda associated with the order. The order was not issued in his best interest. Like, we have to wake up at a certain point. We have to understand that not every face and voice that says they have our best interest has our best interest. They set up the order being drived by an agenda and the penalty was the trap that they set for him and they watched him and Daniel went home to pray. We know that. And because they watched him, they came, at least this is the implications of the way that it reads. They broke into his house. They snatched him out of his house and they brought him to the king and the king threw him in the lion's den. Right? So the idea is that how would Daniel, if he had a vibrant prayer life, if Daniel actually had a real connection to God, if Daniel was receiving all of his instructions privately on how he was supposed to live publicly, how would he have come to the conclusion that the decision that he was supposed to make is the one that seemed to put him in the place of the penalty rather than the instructions being to guide him in the place that would preserve him from the penalty? This is what I mean. Um, if you are, I'll just, I'll put my Bible down for a second. If you are supposedly receiving instructions that are always putting you in the place of self-preservation, I honestly don't know if you are all the time hearing from God the way you say you do. Um, I, I just don't know if that can be truth. If all of your conclusions are being driven by self-interest, I don't know if you are hearing from God all the time the way that you think you are. Because if you do not know the voice of God apart from your own self-interest, then 
Your assumption is that your own self-interest, that God is always going to rally alongside of what seems to, in an immediate or momentary way, be what has determined to be what's best for you. And what's best for you by way of human reasoning or even your emotional capacity to try and analyze circumstances as they're happening in real time, the assumption is that whatever is being driven by those things is always going to automatically mean that that's the way that God is driving. Not a chance. Not a chance. No chance. Jesus prays in the garden. I know that there are other ways. And Jesus, with loud cries, tears, bleeding out of his face, cries out, let this cup pass from me. But at the end of the process of wrestling in prayer, he comes to the conclusion, not my will, but yours be done. His own self-interest as a man, he is wrestling with the pressure of the process and the penalty that he knows is associated with God's will that is driving him through an intimate, vibrant prayer life. And he is praying it out and him praying it out is a process of wrestling because he knows what his father is saying and it is hard for him to swallow. Um, this is what I mean. This is what I mean to automatically just assume that because there are things I'm interested in or there are penalties that I'm unwilling to actually process and have to pay, that there are a real cost associated with certain decisions, that that couldn't be the decision that God is asking me to make? Where does this thought process even come from? It comes from self-interest. It comes from my own intellectual ability to try and evaluate the life circumstance from all of the situations that are going on. My own emotional capacity. Oh, well, I don't like the way that feels, so that can't be what God is saying. Oh, well, I don't like the direction that that's going, so that can't be what God is saying. Well, if I make that decision, then I'm going to lose out on this. That can't be what God is saying. I believe that Daniel knew the voice of God separate from his own self-interest. Um, separate from his own self-interest. I know that if I make this decision, there's going to be a cost. Um, only if you know that you have apprehended God's voice in a real private way. I mean, in a real private way. No, no, no. I know what God is saying, right? These are days where our decisions that are being made must be fueled by, I know what God is saying. These are not days to just hope for the best. These are not days to just throw darts blindly in the dark. These are not days to just try to let one rip and then figure out what happens on the backside of it. But at least in an immediate way, this is what made the most sense for me right here. These are not days to rely upon your own sense. These are days to deeply, intimately, powerfully rely upon the voice of God and to allow God's voice to saturate your whole life and to override where necessary the intellectualism and the emotionalism that has overwhelmed so many people, causing them to come to conclusions at times that are outside of a confidence in being able to say, this is what God is saying and not having to look at someone and say, well, this is what I hope God is saying because this is what I would want him to be saying because this is what makes the most sense for me. This is what feeds my sense of self-preservation. This is what keeps me in the safest place, the most comfortable place. This is what puts me in the place where I don't have to pay 
or I don't have to actually own up to a penalty or a cost associated with what God is saying. Daniel understood what the Lord was saying. And he went home and he kept on praying because he knew that that was the only way that he could keep on knowing what it was that God was saying. Um, these are days where we have to be faithful in the place of prayer. And that our, our prayer life, it has to be robust. Um, these are not days to minimize the place of prayer because you may feel like there are so many other things going on. You feel like your responsibilities have increased. You feel like your overall capacity to be able to, let's say, entertain all of these things that are happening in society, even on a global landscape. Um, these are not days to bring a reduction to the secret place. These are not days to diminish or to minimize the secret place. These are days to go for it in private. Um, these are days to increase. These are days to beef up. These are days to substantially and radically begin to develop our ability to intimately know God for ourselves in a way that is private and not anchored into someone else's influence. I do not need to know God through you. I need to know God for myself. That's what this means. And Daniel went home and he prayed. Um, these are days to pray and to allow prayer to be our greatest resource. Um, and I say that because there are so many other things that we feel we know to do even successfully to bring help or guidance or governance other than pray. There's a lot of tools. There's a lot of tricks. There's a lot of gimmicks. Um, there's a lot of crutches. There's a lot of resources. There's a lot of vices. There's a lot of devices. There's a lot of structures, systems. There, there's a lot of information that's available to us in a variety of ways. There's just a lot that we can do, and there's a lot that in most cases we do separate from the place of prayer. Separate. I'm saying things that we do that are not even being informed by times in prayer. Things that we just get up and do, decisions we make, even in things that would consider to be uh, very substantial. And this is what I'm saying. These are days where prayer must become our greatest resource. Um, and the Lord is doing it. God is doing it. There are situations that are severing from our lives all of the crutches that we've walked with. And the pain, the penalties, all of the crises of the hour are ripping from us the crutches that we've known in seasons past. They are taking from us. In some cases, taking them from us. Meaning we are being pushed into painful places where prayer has now become our last resort. And then for others, we are recognizing the design of the season and we are willingly and joyfully laying aside all of the other outlets and go-tos that we've known in previous seasons whenever the pressure wasn't really great enough in order to push me into the place of prayer like God really desired whenever you know the crucible of circumstances man like it almost got me and it almost pushed me over the threshold where I actually had to begin praying but you know I, I found a way out right at the last hour Right in the bottom of the ninth, resources came through and I didn't actually have to get into prayer the way that God was wanting me to. Whoo, I dodged a bullet there. Our circumstances are now, um, they're beginning to, uh, I guess as they say in these days, they're beginning to hit a little different. And they're actually pushing us over the threshold where we are beginning to realize the futility of our other resources. Hopefully, I hope to God that you are beginning to realize how hollow, how bankrupt, how empty a lot of these other resources that in previous seasons, they were able to 
keep the show alive. In previous seasons, we were able to keep the image or the exterior vibrant the way that we wanted to. I hope to God that in this season, the crucible of circumstances and the design of the pressure of the hour of the age that we are living in, that is serving the purpose of causing God's people to rise and to realize that prayer is not only a last ditch effort. Prayer is not only an activity for the bottom of the ninth. Prayer is not only some rabbit that we pull out of a hat whenever all of our other tricks and gimmicks and games just can't seem to get the job done in the way that it's always done. Prayer is not, is not a last recourse. But I'm praying that the design of the pressure of the hour of the age that we are living in will actually succeed according to its intentions, where what the enemy thought was going to kill you is actually going to drive you into the most vibrant season in God that you've ever known. Because historically, everything that's never been able to actually produce the life of devotion in you or to get prayer to rise on the inside of you, all of that historically might have never actually been able to get the job done. But here we are now standing on a stage in the hour of history where the crucible of the circumstances according to the demonic agenda that's been unveiled unveiled to create the infrastructure to lead us into a new world order a global demonic conspiring and unifying of the nations i hope to god that you begin to pray i hope to god that you begin to pray. Let pressure push you to prayer. Let pain push you to pray. Let the price and the penalty associated with the circumstances that are being unleashed in culture through orders and mandates and injunctions and jurisdiction and governmental declarations. Let your faithfulness in secret, your private devotion to God, let it produce on the inside of you an actual strength and fortitude and bring in you a resolve to the most vibrant season you've ever known in God. Um, at least this is what it should be doing. This is what it should be doing. And this is why prayer is not secondary. It's not peripheral. It, there is no effective substitute you are not going to be able to delegate it to somebody else. Hey, go pray for me and I'm going to reap the benefits of that. These are days where I must know that I know that I know God for myself. And I know that I know that I know what God is saying, not just subjectively because I've deduced that he wants what I want. No, because I have a vibrant, intimate powerful life of devotion where I know him and he knows me and he speaks to me and his voice is now what's bringing guidance to my life. Um, I'm not looking to the CDC to bring guidance to my life. I'm looking to the voice of God to bring government and guidance and my life is going to be subjected to the rule of King Jesus. And whatever King Jesus is saying is what I want my life to actually look like when I am living it. And this is where Daniel was. Daniel knew what government policy was, but he also knew what the king of his heart was saying. And these are days where, where we can't just assume that the two are always going to perfectly align. And this is what I'm saying. And the reason that I'm not talking about any particular circumstance, this one or that one, um, is because we have to know what God is saying to us. And then we have to live accordingly, meaning to be accountable to God's voice in my heart 
to guide me as I am living my life in a way where I long to honor him above anything or everything. And at times, when that brings me up against a consequence, I have to know that I've heard from God because hearing from God is going to provide me the grace in order to face the consequence. Hearing from God is what is going to give me the resolve and the fortitude in, in order to walk through a tough season, a tough moment, in order to not just be faced with a decision that has to be made, but in order to make the decision and then walk it through and then grace in order to own the consequence, if it be that a consequence is what is associated with the decision. Daniel didn't just go home and pray once he knew what government policy was. He went home and prayed, and then they ripped him out of his house and brought him before the king and threw him in the lion's den. And yes, because we know the story, we know that God preserved him in the lion's den, but he still had to get in there. It's not like, oh, well, because I know the story, I can bypass the lion's den. Daniel made the decision that put him in the place of having to pay the price and he faced the consequence and he was processed. But as he was processed, God preserved him. Yes. In this instance, we have to know God's voice outside of our own self-interests. Um, and if you don't, then you will assume that you'll assume a variety of things. As a matter of fact, you'll assume that what you always want is what God always wants. Um, you'll assume that what you have determined is best for you. Again, this is just another way to say the same thing that by your own evaluation, by your own intellectual ability to analyze or reason out a process, you will assume that that conclusion that you come to is always automatically going to be the same conclusion that God comes to, or you're going to suggest that whatever you emotionally feel, want, desire, have a liking towards or prefer is going to be the same decision that God is going to make. This is absolute nonsense. It is absolute nonsense, right? And, and not even going to get into it, but this is what Paul suggests is the tyranny of the powers of the air in Ephesians chapter two, the spirit at work in the sons of disobedience, governing over them, ruling over them that they would overindulge in the lustful cravings of the mind and of the heart intellectualism, emotionalism. That doesn't mean we're all supposed to be ignorant. It means that we do not depend upon our own fleshly faculties to govern or rule our lives. We have God's spirit and the Holy Spirit on the inside gives us access to the mind of Christ and through this access, we now know what it is that God is saying. Not just in certain seasons, we have the ability to know what God is saying in every season. And in a very real and powerful way, the voice of God and not the inspiration of the powers of the air or the inspiration of my own self-preservation and how those two things seek to animate me and rule over me. We don't have to give in to that. We have God's spirit and God's spirit is what we depend on. God, I need you to speak to me. Because my mind is telling me to go this way. My heart is telling me to go that way. Man, the spirit of the age, the tyranny of the pressure of the powers of the air, they're longing to get me to align with their agenda. Lord, what are you saying? I have to be able to sort through all of that. First off, I have to actually know that that's happening. Right? Because if I don't understand that that's actually happening, then I'll never have the consideration that it needs to be sorted through. So I have to sort through all of that. God, I have to know what you're saying. And I have to wrestle in the place of prayer long enough to where I know that those things have been conquered and that I 
past that cup so that your will be done and not mine. Um, prayer in these days, and, and I believe that God is doing it. God is causing prayer to rise as the greatest resource in this season. And he is breaking the crutches. He is severing all of our historical tendencies to rely upon other resources, systems, people, little tricks of the trade, gimmicks. He's severing all of the tendency to want to look to and cling to all of these other things. God is doing it and he is driving his people back into his presence. He is driving his people back into the place of prayer where we are beginning to realize I cannot survive without a vibrant connection to God. I can't. The crucible of the circumstances in this hour of history are forcing us to have to be the people that we all know and even at times suggest that we are. We suggest it externally with at times realizing that we're not living in the greatest measure of it personally, internally. But the crucible of the hour is driving us to actually become what we all know we should have been all along. And God is doing it. God is doing it. And so let what is working actually work in you. Let what is working in culture, in life, in the systems, in all of the announcements, mandates, the evidence, the consequences, let what is working have its work in you. And let it drive us to where we should have been all along. To be a robust praying people to be a powerful people in the place of prayer to actually know what God is saying and to let the word of the Lord give grace and issue strength for us to be out in public who it is that God is saying we are supposed to be in this hour of history that's what Daniel did Daniel took all of the information that was going on out here and he let it drive him into the private, the secret, the personal place of connection that he had to God. And we should be doing the same. We shouldn't be processing all of the information out here and then responding to things out here based off of our own intellectual deductions or our own emotional preferences. That's not how we should be processing all of the things that are happening in life right now. Everything that's happening out here should be driving us into the secret place. And we should be laying it all out before God. And in great intimacy and desperation, we should be unwilling to move or to be moved until we know what it is that God is saying. I'm telling you, it's the only place that you are going to find grace to actually be who God is asking you to be in this moment of history. We have to pray. All of that to say, you have to pray. Man, you just took however long you took to tell me that I need to pray. You need to pray. And you have to let prayer become your resource. It's just, it's been overdue to put down all of the other tools and tricks. It's time to pray. Um, we fast and pray. That's our secret sauce. We fast and pray. That's our lifeline. Uh, we fast and pray because this gives us the necessary grace and then the necessary strength. We fast and pray. Daniel knew what they wrote into public policy and he went home and prayed.
Um, I'm praying and believing that God is going to get what he wants. And I know that he will. I don't say that um, speculatively. I'm talking about out of you. I know that he's going to get it overall. Um, he's going to get it overall. What, what we are talking about, he is going to produce it in the lives of those that belong to him. Um, the, the question is whether or not we will yield and whether our lives will be included with what it is that he is producing on the inside of those that are responding to the invitation of the hour, the way that God has issued his invitation. But he is going to get it. And there are going to be a powerful people that rise. Um, Daniel went home and prayed. And I'm praying that this is what we would do. And so that's the way I'm going to close. And that's the way I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you would begin to pray. And that you would then maybe begin or continue to receive grace to know the voice of God outside of your own personal interests, your own self-interests. And that there would then be grace in that place to make the decisions, posture your life, and in a public way, bear the consequences of what you know the voice of God may be speaking to you. Um, this is something that's only going to be possible by the Spirit. And if the spirit doesn't actually do it and make it real and give us grace, um, then again, we don't have a shot at actually accomplishing this in our own strength. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.